Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Well, what gets your blood pumping? What what gives you that like adrenaline rush first thing in the morning? Uh, I can tell you today it's not caffeine. It was uh, a spider web just smack dab in the middle of the face. Yeah. <sighs> so, good morning. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Mornings with Carmen. And um, I'm not just, you know, a full cup of coffee into the day. I'm a full spider web into the day. Took a spider web right in the face this morning. Mm-hmm. Which actually is a fantastic illustration to uh, help us understand what God is talking about in First Timothy six nine and ten. That's your growing the faith faith verse of the day, uh-huh. right in the face. Mm-hmm. Growing your faith verse of the day from First Timothy six nine and ten. And I had in my notes this morning to share with you that today is read a book day. And I was going to commend or suggest that the Bible be a really good book to read today and every other day. Um, so on this read a book day, where in the word are you? I am in First Timothy 6, 9 and 10. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction, much like walking into a spider web first thing in the morning. For the love of money, oh, that, by the way, is not actually in the verse, but it's in my interpretation of the verse uh, this morning. For the love of money, pay attention to the beginning of this uh, section of the passage, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. This is one of those um, content and context verses. This is also one of maybe the most misquoted uh, passages of Scripture. You have heard, in fact, people have sung about money being the root of all evil. That is actually not what the passage of Scripture says. Go back and look. It doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. Do you see the difference? Money is um, useful for many things. There's kingdom advancement that takes place every moment of of every day um, because people have placed the resources that God has set under their stewardship into uh, into the hands of ministries, right, that are kingdom advancing, including this one. So money itself is not evil. Um, money is functional and transactional and necessary. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is not the single source of evil, also important to note here. Um, People who long to be rich fall into temptation, trapped by many foolish and harmful desires. There are many foolish and harmful desires, not just the love of money, but the love of money rises um, to the top of the list as being the root of all kinds of evil. 
and the craving of money um, leads to all kinds of, of destruction in relationships and in life. Those are the sorrows with which people who love money and the pursuit of money are pierced. Think about all of the family relationships that have been destroyed for the love of money. Um, lured, enticed, tempted by many, many things. Money makes that list. Jeremiah seven nineteen reminds us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and who can know it? Well, God can know it. That's the answer to the question. God can know it, and God does know it. God knows your heart. God knows my heart. God knows what we genuinely love, and he knows where money falls on that love list. So people who long to be rich, people financially speaking here, people whose hearts are set on the acquisition or the accumulation of worldly treasures, they have fallen into a trap. They are building barns that will one day burn. Um, Their desires have plunged them into a ruinous life. Craving money has led people to wander from God. Um, the, the rich young ruler is a good um, story to look at here. We don't know. We don't know if after he left the conversation with Jesus, uh, during which Jesus told him that for him, you know, he needed to sell all of his possessions and give it to the poor and come and follow Jesus. Uh, why did Jesus say that to that one person and not to everybody else? Well, because he knew that for that one person, the issue was the love of money. And we don't know. It says that he walked away sad. We don't know that he walked away sad because he knew he was now being called to a different kind of life or because he genuinely did love money more than he loved the Lord. What do you crave today? Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. The Father knows what you need. Money is um, transactional. Money is not intended to be um, the desire of our hearts. Our friend Jeff Bilbro is going to join us next. We're going to talk about um, the kind of people we need at the end of the world and the kind of people we need to be at the end of the world. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Jeff. Welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Yeah, so spider web in the face. That was my um, <clears throat> step out of the door this morning. So be on the lookout. Tis the season. Yep, they're moving in. Mm-hmm. So I loved this piece by Elizabeth Oldfield um, posted at posted on the Water Dipper. Um, it, can you just read us in? What are the kind of people we need at the end of the world? Yeah, I thought this was such a beautiful essay and very um, honest about uh, the challenges that they are trying to face to form themselves and their kids uh, and their community into, you know, genuine followers of Christ. But she talks about how uh, she and her family have, for a variety of reasons, kind of moved into a, a co co-house space with another family in part because uh, you know they live in an urban area in England. Property is very expensive. So this way they can have some space. Uh, they can grow some of their food. But they want to make their lives uh, follow a different shape than, than merely you know, pursuing their individual careers. They want to have time for communal prayer together. 
with this other family and their neighbors. Um, and they want to, to prep, you know, both in the sense of, uh, uh, developing more of their, their food and their sustenance on their own, but more ultimately in the sense of preparing for, um, for eternal life with Christ. You know, what, what do we need to do in our lives right now to shape ourselves to, uh, to be one with, with God and for eternity? I, uh, I'm going to read two sentences here, or maybe three from the piece. Um, we also, or the adults at least, were waking up to the fact that the future we'd been promised was disappearing, that the stable and secure existence of our parents' generation would not be available to us. I wanted to raise kids who would be expected, who would not be expecting a nice middle-class life, primed to jump through professional hoops and accumulate possessions. Instead, I wanted them to see how much more resilient and capable we are together than we are apart. Um, there, this takes a, it takes a lot to move in, um, to commingle your funds, to commingle your life, um, not just to raise children with one other person, but to raise your family and live in community with another family. Um, this is, this is, I think, what people would think of as a social experiment. And yet, this is not unusual if you look back over um, over the course of history or if you look at some other cultures in the world. That's right. I suppose the uh, more unusual pattern is the one that has become the norm today of nuclear families under their own roof. Um, so looking to kind of recover some possibilities for, um, yeah, more common forms of living, I think, is unusual for our age, but you're right. Not, but is still the norm globally and historically. Yeah, and I think that, uh, you know, as we look at the prospect of a growing number of or, or a growing percentage of people in our culture who are single as adults, who either never marry or who are not married um, by the time they reach an age and stage where, you know, you don't really want to be alone. Um, yeah. It's not good. It's not good to be alone, period. And so what does that what does that look like going forward and sort of how can we get over the um, whatever the cultural stigma or cultural hump or cultural expectation that exists that says this is the way we're all supposed to live and, and the places that this is how it's supposed to look. And to say instead, what does it look like to live in community with my brothers and sisters in Christ? I think about Mary and Martha and Lazarus and opening their home to Jesus. And I think about, you know, Jesus never had his own house or his own family. So, you know, living in the homes of other people, um, and making family of all of us, that that is the nature of Christ. That is the per- person of Christ. So what does that look like? I mean, I, so I appreciated this as a um, starting point for conversation and yeah. what what this piece might provide for people, you know, in terms of a vision. Yeah, it's just helpful to kind of expand your imagination and realize that just because the people around you have ordered their lives in a certain way, that doesn't mean that that's the, the only way or the best way that, that we can be faithful disciples of Christ and that we should yeah, expand their horizons and be open to other ways of um, sharing our lives together and, and loving our neighbors who, as you point out, might be, might be lonely, might need, um, need somebody else. All right. Next, are you a farmer? Are you farming? Um, what does farming look like? What has it looked like? What does an agricultural life look like? Is that a connecting point um, from, you know, the Blue Ridge 
uh, portion of the United States of America and our breadbasket to, I don't know, um, places in India where people are um, seeking to raise a life um, and raise a family. We're going to um, we're going to talk about rewilding. What um, what is regenerative ag and what might it look like here in the United States of America? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do on the Faith Radio Network every day. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources waiting for you to take advantage of and share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. Be sure to check us out on social media as well. Um, This is a community of believers, and we gather together here and We all need prayer, and, well, we'd love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer. We pray for specific requests every single week when we gather on Tuesdays and Thursdays as a staff. So share your prayer request with us anonymously and securely on our website at MyFaithRadio.com, and then be assured of our prayers for you in the Spirit of Christ. Check it all out at MyFaithRadio.com. All right, what would it look like to host a farmer from India um, on your family farm? What might you learn from each other? This is a beautiful um, testimony about uh, a man from India who spent a couple of months covering hundreds of miles of rural America, visiting farms from Utah to New York, and he has an extended um, uh, portion of uh, of his time that he tells about one particular family farm that I think really captured his heart and his imagination. We're talking with Jeff Bilbro. The piece is posted um, on his uh, aggregated um, post, which is called The Water Dipper, which you can find at frontporchrepublic.com. I'm referring, uh, uh, Jeff, to this piece on rewilding, a glimpse into regenerative, regenerative agriculture. So take us into this story. Yeah, it's a beautiful, I think, um, example of kind of cross-cultural exchange and learning where this Indian farmer, uh, somebody who works on agricultural policy in India, comes here to America to try to uh, see what farmers over here are doing and spends a lot of time on this small farm in Virginia um, that is trying to follow some some actually some land, uh, some, some agricultural or, or grazing practices developed by a African farmer, Alan Savory, um, who, and with the goal of, you know, promoting the ecological health of, uh, your land, the animals, the plants, the whole, the whole, uh, range of creatures who share that space and producing good food that's healthy. Uh, that's good for the, the people who are eating it. Um, and so he, you know, talks about what works here in Virginia, but he says, in fact, a lot of this applies to um, farms in India as well. And there's things that we can learn from each other about how to care for our place as well. And yeah, it's, it's a great example of, you know, these two people from very different parts of the world, but they share a common love for land, for animals, for the plants, and for healthy forms of life. When you when you think about the ways um, that this particular family is farming in Virginia, and I mean, you think about the the layers that they have eliminated between themselves and the people who eat the food that they produce. 
um, when you think about the relationship, um, I liked the paragraph where he talks about, you know, the being, being close to the dirt, like yeah. <laughs> getting, getting actually down there and being close to the dirt, um, and the ways in which, um, you know, they're, I mean, the, the language of rewilding is this idea that, you know, you, you let your, you let your animals be with each other and you let them live out there in a pasture where you're not, you know, they're not pinned up, they're grazing, their, their minds get to wander and so do they. Um, it does seem, you know, more Eden-like than maybe production, um, factory farming, you know, would be the very negative name yeah. for it. Um you know, the the direction that things have gone. And I know that when we talk about the need to produce a lot of food for a lot of people, um, that's, I think that's where this gets complicated, right? Sure. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of debates about uh, the most efficient way to produce food. Certainly these kinds of uh, livestock management, management methods take a lot more human uh, labor, right? It's a lot. Oh, yeah labor intensive so that's um definitely the case and and then it's more debatable as to uh which can produce more calories per acre i guess Mm. um but you know large parts of india uh there's a lot of people who still live on the land and um if they can produce more of their own food and do so in a way that sustains the health of the land doesn't degrade the soil's quality um and that prevents them from being dependent upon a cash economy where they might not have a lot of cash. So I, I think places that still have large rural populations, these sorts of intensive um, farming methods can be really viable for sure. Yeah, it's a beautiful piece, rewilding a glimpse into regenerative ag in the United States. Uh, you can find it at the Water Dipper which is at frontporchrepublic.com. Um, and then briefly here, let's just touch on um, this this piece by uh, by our, our mutual friend, um, and it's entitled The Death of the Church and the Pub by Carl Truman. Yeah, Carl uh, goes back to England, you know, to visit his his uh, family every year. And uh, he, he reflects on how his uh, small English village has changed in the decades since he's left. Um, And and one of the things he noticed this summer was that uh, not only are the churches closing down um, and and kind of hollowing out, but also the English, the pub in town is, uh, is closed or less and less. Those kinds of places are less common and less vibrant than they used to be. And he says, you know, this is, it's really a tragedy that we're losing these places. Obviously the church is a bit more important than the pub. And yet both of them have been and can be uh, hubs of community life. And when we withdraw from those places, then we only exacerbate the, the loneliness and isolation that's becoming quite the scourge of our contemporary time. Yeah, this reminded me of a piece I'd read on Medium about the death of third places and how our yeah, communities yeah. have you know negatively evolved and the need for third places and got me uh, you know got That's me right. thinking about that again. So really, really helpful. Um, hey, Jeff, as always, thank you so much. Great to catch up with you. Blessings on the new semester. Thank you, Carmen. Hope you had a good vacation.
Yeah, absolutely. That's Jeff Bilbro. You can find him at Grove City College and FrontPorchRepublic.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. God's got the whole world in his hands. That should probably get you singing this morning. He's got the whole world in his hands. Okay. Um, Because God has the whole world in his hands and God is concerned about every person in every place in every moment, let me brief you in on what is happening around the world. Um, So earlier this week, President Zelensky of Ukraine um, fired his uh, defense minister, or maybe the better word is replaced. Um, So... uh, that is a major major transition in terms of what is happening um, and how Ukraine will now manage uh, its counteroffensive, which is um, quite robust. So that is underway. Meanwhile, Kim, Kim Jong-un, the leader of North Korea, um, is planning a rare trip outside of North Korea. He will likely travel by armored train um, to meet the leader of Russia, Vladimir Putin, so that they can discuss um, the the sale of weapons to Russia. <clears throat> now, if Russia has arrived at the point where it needs to buy weapons um, and supplies from North Korea, um, then Russia's in trouble for sure. Um, Russia is also not going to renew the Black Sea grain deal Um, while it actively targets Ukrainian grain reserves, and that is pushing an increasing number of people around the world to the brink of starvation. The United Nations is seeking a new grain deal of some kind, um, and Turkey is engaged in that. I think the challenge there is that Turkey is beholden to Russia in a number of other ways, Um, and Russia wants to use Turkey as the... uh, um, Kind of the pivot point. They want to. They want to move their grain uh, and other exports through Turkey to the rest of the world. Which obviously, um, you know, all of the uh, the restrictions um, that have been placed on Russia since its invasion of Ukraine, you know, the rest of the world is not interested in allowing them to, you know, find a workaround through Turkey. So it's complicated. Now to the south, I guess that's to the south. Let me think about that. <clears throat> Um, Chinese President Xi, you know, we got we got all the bad actors here. Uh, Kim, Kim Jong-un, Vladimir Putin, and now Chinese President Xi. Uh, he is actually skipping this week's international G20 summit, which I would say is in India. But the invitations to the summit actually went out um, under the Hebrew, uh, Hebrew, under the Hindu, <laughs> under the Hindu um, uh version of the word that's translated India, and that is B-H-A-R-A-T, Bharat. And so that is the Hindu name of the world's most populous country. And so people weren't invited to the G20 in India. They were invited to the G20 in Bharat. Um, so uh, anyway, the Chinese president uh, is skipping that meeting. Um, There is an ongoing standoff in the Himalayans over land uh, between China and India. And and actually, China released a map um, last week claiming that land as part of China. And so, um, yeah, there's a lot going on uh, around the world. Meanwhile, in Africa, another nation has experienced a military coup. 
Um, there is now a military junta leader sworn in as Gabon's interim president. Um, and so, um, yeah, that's uh, the seventh, um, uh, to my count, the, the seventh coup in this part of Africa um, transition and leadership just in the last uh, few months. So it's a lot going on around the world. Ruth Kramer is going to join us from Mission Network News to brief us in on some other things happening uh, around the world as well. God's got the whole world in his hands, and we ought to be praying for each and every one. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All righty, Ruth Kramer is joining us from Mission Network News. She helps us understand what in the world is going on in the world and where God is on the move and provides us opportunities not only to pray for, but to connect with vital ministries um, on the ground all over the place. So you can find what we're talking about and connect with ministries at missionnews.org. Good morning, Ruth. Good morning. How are you? I Well, I am well. I walked into a spider web this morning, but I have recovered from that. Uh, was there video evidence of that? No, there was screaming. <laughs> <laughs> At least the spider wasn't on the web. Oh, no. The spider was definitely on the web. Oh, no. It was the whole thing. The co- I, Yeah, I dropped my coffee. The whole thing. It's But I didn't need coffee after that because it definitely got my adrenaline pumping. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I've recovered. Sort of. Um, how is the Russian war affecting Bible translation? These do not seem like things that would be connected, and yet they are. Well, yeah. I mean, when you've got something as significant as an invasion going on, um, it's going to disrupt uh, a lot of what a team can do, not only in being able to communicate with each other, but also in just getting funds to the team. So our partner, Unfolding Word, has been working with uh, the Eurasia Gateway Language Project. Um, That has the potential to impact like 296 million people in 15 countries. Uh, They've been working on this project for quite some time, and the Russian invasion has severely disrupted what they've been able to do. Um, I think their concern here, aside from just getting the funds there and getting the teams um, continuing to do their work, is just the the issue of whether or not they have electricity um, and and the teams that are on the move, because uh, some of them are having to evacuate certain areas. Um, So Unfolding Word has shared some concerns with that. They are asking that we join them in praying for the Bible translation teams um, because the obstacles are significant. And not only are they significant with the the, the teams in Ukraine, but also uh, in the reluctance to work with uh, Russian resources just because of the the enmity that is going on between the two countries right now and between the people groups, uh, the different peoples that are are serving on this team, um, when you have something as significant as a, a military action, it causes some hard feelings. And so there's some some things that have to be dealt with uh, so that the team can stay focused on what they're trying to do and work with each other uh, despite their nationality. So continue to pray for that. Um, you know, there are obviously the teams that are in Ukraine are having to do a lot of their work from bomb shelters because of the frequency of the the attacks. Uh, one, in fact, one of the the team leaders, his name is Stephen, uh, was reporting in uh, for from a recent situation um, where they have been working for several weeks from a bomb shelter. And 
uh, he and the, the, the Eurasian team have been trying to lead um, uh, training workshops from this bomb shelter. So they had a couple of three-day Bible translation uh, tools training workshops via Zoom, and that only works when you have power. So um, you can see where something uh, as as big as a, a military movement, uh, a, you know, an invasion could have impact on every aspect of life, including something like a Bible translation project. So they're just asking us to join them in prayer that they, the work continues because they are staying focused. But you, you've, you've, you can hear all of the different types of um, issues that will come into play when you've got something stressing a uh, project aside from the normal stressors. Yeah, it's a, um, it's a good um, reminder. Uh, the lead sentence of this piece, few things remain untouched when one country declares war on another, including Bible translation. It's an excellent piece. It's a wonderful connecting point, both to the Unfolding Word and Eurasia Gateway Language Project. You can, um, you can read the piece at missionnews.org. Um, take us into what is happening now in Nigeria. Well, um, I thought we were talking about Niger. Mm, Niger. We are. Oh, yeah, that is actually what it says right there. Mm -hmm. It does. Yep. Uh, let, let's do that. <laughs> well, in this situation, um, there's just been a lot of instability. Um, you know, I think when you look at the region and you realize that in the last three years that are there have been six major military coups uh, in the region, um, it has impact on all of the countries uh, nearby. Um, in Niger, they had a coup this summer, and uh, there were already difficulties uh, in play facing the country. But since the uh, the takeover, uh, food costs have gone out of control. So the cost for like a sack of rice has increased by 30% since the takeover. And uh, that means that a lot of people are facing food shortages. Uh, there may be food available, but the ability to be able to purchase it has significantly decreased uh, along with a number of other things that have limited the availability of those kinds of resources. Um, our partner World Mission uh, has been sending in uh, a lot of different types of resources for a long time with their partnering network. Uh, so they've been sending in things like the solar powered audio Bibles, but now they're saying that they're they're realizing that uh, the, you know there's uh, a, another issue that they need to address, uh, and that would be making sure that people have food and water. So they are kind of pivoting to provide some resources for their teams to be able to get food and water to the people who are suffering most in Niger, and that's coming through their uh, their church planting network. Um, just continue to pray for that situation. It's going to get very ugly. If it, you know, it's already pretty bad, but um, it looks like the situation, not only for food security, but also just general security is deteriorating. And um, uh, you expect to see a huge spike in uh, food prices, cooking oil, um, access to water and fuel, those kinds of things, as this continues to kind of fall apart. Okay, can I confess my um, my now discovery that both the people of Niger or Niger and the people or Niger and the people of Nigeria are all called Nigerians. So that might have been the source of my confusion. Now that I have, well, sure. I mean, Consider Nigeria that more fully. 
Nigeria has uh, Nigerians are, are with an A and Niger, Nigerian with an E. Um, so it would be very easy to confuse mm. that. Mm-hmm. We have learned something. I mean, we always learn something when we talk with you, but that feels like something I would not have learned from anyone else. Okay, so Nigerian, when it is spelled with an E, those are the people of Niger. Nigerian, Correct. when it is spelled with an A, are people of Nigeria. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. All right. I'm telling you, Ruth, it's like a it's like a feast of knowledge when we get together with you. Here are the two connecting points um, from the stories that you and I have just discussed. Right, so one is we have this conflict zone, this war in Ukraine brought on by Russia, affecting Bible translation, um, but also Russia's war on Ukraine affecting the the movement of foodstuffs, um, including grain and cooking oil, around the world. Um, the uh, you know all of that that's going on, and then we have people in um, Niger and a number of other countries in in Africa um, suffering food insecurity and a number of then um, coups across the country, seven to my count this morning, um, now that Gabon has uh, made a made a transition in its leadership following a military coup there. Um, it, there is a lot of instability, and that that means that ministries that are on the ground um, face all kinds of new challenges in addition to the challenges they were already facing. And so if you are um, looking for a place to to target your prayers today, maybe conflict zones around the world might be one way that you could target your prayers because it's not just the conflict. It's the cascading effects of the conflict, not only on the people, um, but upon ministries seeking to serve God by serving people in those places. Um, And you can connect with all kinds of ministries that are on the ground in conflict zones um, by going to missionnews.org. Every single one of these articles has links inside of it to um, the ministries that are on the ground serving precious people. When we come back from a very brief break, we're going to talk about the challenge that Christians in Libya— are facing. It's been a long time since we've talked about what's going on uh, in Libya, but let's bring that into focus with Ruth Kramer as we consider not only what in the world is going on in the world, but the precious people whom God loves in each one of these places. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. You may not think of yourself as a courageous world changer, but you are. Sometimes fear rules the day and keeps us from identifying in these ways. But when you step out in faith and decide to take action in the moment, living this day in light of that day, in light of eternity, you change the world. Mornings with Carmen is part of listener-supported Faith Radio. This content is only available because of your support. The impact on people's lives, the reach around the world, it all happens because you stand up to make a difference. Now is your time. So take the next step and be bold by joining the support team Click the link in the show notes or go to MyFaithRadio.com and make this day count for that day. Continuing our conversation with Ruth Kramer, you can find what we're talking about at MissionNews.org. Ruth, draw our attention to our brothers and sisters in Christ in Libya. What, What are they facing? You know, you had mentioned that we uh, don't hear a lot of stories from Libya, and part of that reason for not getting a lot of information uh, coming out of the country is because it is so difficult 
to get that information. The Libyan church is primarily an underground church. So when we do hear stories, we're hearing about things that are dealing with persecution um, because the government has been very concerted in its effort to stamp out the Christian influence in the country. And um, so what we hear a lot of times are, are stories of hardship, uh, and a lot of it stems from the lack of stability in the government and leadership. Um, our partners are there that are uh, from Voice of the Martyrs Canada, and we spoke with Riyad Jabala to get some of that information from uh, what we've been hearing about because of the the, the issues with the um, – it's not really a blasphemy law. It's not really an anti-conversion law, but it's sort of uh, a, a penal code that's being used like that. And because uh, Libya is primarily an Islamic country, you can see where this might actually be going. Right now, we're looking at a case uh, with six Libyans who are actually facing the death penalty for converting to Christianity and proselytizing under the laws that are being used to basically um, silence civil society. Um, these Libyans have been charged under Article 207 of the Penal Code, which I'm going to I'm going to read this part so you can understand just how serious the charges sound uh, because of the the conversion issue. Um, it punishes any attempt to circulate views that aim to alter fundamental constitutional principles or the fundamental structures of the social order. That's a quote. Um, or overthrow the state uh, and anyone who possesses books, leaflets, drawings, or slogans, or any other items that promote their cause. Now, um, the arrests were really to, um, according to the authorities there, to stop and organize gang action aiming to solicit and to make people leave Islam. That's how they're viewing um, uh, a conversion issue where six Libyans converted to Christianity. And in fact, because of the situations where um, you had uh, arrests and torture of those situations, uh, of those people, uh, one of the Christians actually uh, recanted his faith. Um, he mm -hmm. had uh, come to Christ, he was baptized, he was excited about his faith, but under arrest and torture, he did recant. So this is the situation that you see in Libya's underground church. There are really serious consequences uh, that uh, Libyan believers face when uh, when the government finds out that they're either a believer or that they're a believer from a Muslim background. That's usually worse in a lot of these uh, in a lot of these situations where you have an anti-conversion law or something like it in place on the penal code. Be praying for these believers because right now they're just sort of languishing in behind bars. Uh, I don't re really know the, where the movement on the case is going. It's just that they've been there for a while, and these kinds of situations tend to uh, drag on to the point where they kind of, you forget about who they are or where they are, and they just kind of disappear into the prison system. So continue to be praying for these believers. Pray for the believers who are part of the body of Christ in Libya, especially those who are actively involved in gospel work, because uh, they know what they're facing, and they're trying to disciple new believers in, in getting grounded in their faith so that they are ready to face this kind of stuff uh, from the government, uh, from their communities, from their society in general as a reaction. So um, I don't have current numbers, but I'm looking at March 2022 numbers from Open Doors USA. Um, and when we think about places around the world where Christians live, where Christians are persecuted, you know, we're talking about countries that include 360 million Christians. So that's a lot of our brothers and sisters living in places 
where um, the the Christian faith is um, not appreciated. And so, um, you know, we're talking about nearly 6,000 Christians who were killed, uh, another 6,000 detained or imprisoned, another 4,000 um, or more kidnapped. Um, that's a lot of our brothers and sisters uh, around the world in a given year facing the kind of um, of challenge that you're describing here uh, in Libya. And so, uh, Ruth, the, the call to remember, um, the call to remember them in our prayers, the call to support ministries that are seeking their liberation or serving them, um, you know, in, in their hardship, um, those are so critically important. So thank you for that story. I'd like to give um, an opportunity for this good news story out of North Korea. What are we hearing from North Korean Christians? First, the fact that there are North Korean Christians is heartening. It is. Um, again, the church, the body of Christ in North Korea is deeply, deeply underground because the ideology of North Korea is that the leader is their deity. Um, mm-hmm. The idea of juche, uh, it's about self-reliance. It's its something that uh, they, they rely wholly on their leader as, uh, as the guy who controls their universe because in North Korea, he kind of controls everything. Um, and and to become a Christian means that you're kind of seen as a contaminant. So North Korea's method of dealing with Christians is pretty strict. Um, they they will kill you if they find out you have a gospel tract um, or a portion of the Bible. Never never mind finding a whole Bible in your possession. Um, they will kill you and your family line and wipe out your entire community just to make sure that that's not going to spread any further to contaminate what they see as as their their community. Um, so when you see the kind of uh, response to uh, from the government to Christians, you kind of wonder how there might be a remnant body at all. But again, our partners uh, from um, from Voice of the Martyrs are telling us that we're seeing some really interesting stories coming out of North Korea that are very similar to what we're hearing from like the Middle East uh, in, in places where you've got high persecution, where you've got these kind of amazing things that are happening that that really beggar our imagination. Um, in this case, uh, you there were some believers who have been reporting that God is performing acts of healing among them. Um, and th- there was a situation here that was described by a husband who was actually a Christian but a- and his wife who uh, didn't know that her husband was a Christian. Um, but she got sick, and then he taught her how to pray for healing because he was a follower of Christ already. And she thought that was just nuts. It was the craziest thing she ever heard, but she prayed. And she gave her she she put her faith in Christ and she was healed. So she asked her husband what that was about, and then you know she wanted to know what it meant, and he was able to tell her about the Lord. Um, so this is kind of one of those stories that that comes out. It trickles out after uh, you know kind of following the underground that they have, and every once in a while we get to celebrate something that is pretty amazing about what God is doing, in spite of the fact that the government is doing everything it can to wipe out any trace of God's fingerprints, and it just doesn't happen. Yeah, I was reminded in reading this story, um, you know, of Jesus saying to people, your faith has made you well. Um, And uh, the desperation of uh, coming to God with folded hands, um, this image of Christians 
encouraging other people to, I loved this, to just put your hands together and look to heaven. Um, I think we make it so complicated. And in reality, um, God is good and gracious and hears and sees um, and desires to heal. And so this is, um, this is such a precious testimony. And thank you for bringing this story forward. It gives me it gives me a husband and wife, a brother and sister in Christ that I can pray for who live in North Korea under circumstances that I cannot imagine, but who share my faith and um, and with whom I will share eternity. And so thank you for bringing this good news story forward. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Really appreciate the opportunity to share these. Yeah. So read more. Go and visit missionnews.org. There's, you know, there's a hundred articles that we didn't get to talk about. And so, um, you know, we we know that God has the whole world in his hands. He cares deeply and personally and passionately for each and every person in every single place under heaven. And so um, Mission News brings forward those stories and helps us see and hear what is happening. Uh, and so, Ruth, thank you so much. And if you're listening right now, let me encourage you to just go survey survey what's happening and use it as a source of prayer uh, and encouragement to prayer and a way to connect with ministries around the world. Missionnews.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. What in the world are you going to do today? What's on, um, what's on your calendar? What are you looking forward to? What are you dreading? What are you anticipating? What creates um, concern or anxiety? What are you like looking forward to? Like there's, that, there's that, uh, that moment when you look at your calendar for the day and you see everything on it and you're already exhausted. Mm-hmm. Or there's something on there that you're like, oh, at four o'clock today, I get to see so-and-so. I get to do such-and-such. I hope that your time with me is a source of joy and an opportunity to connect the eternal with the everyday, a time during which... um, you are not only being informed of what's happening in the world, but cultivating the ability to bring the mind of Christ to bear on what is happening around the world. Um, And so in whatever part of the world you are, I encourage you today to go be shiny, to be light, to extend the gospel to someone else, to let your um, goodness, let the goodness and the beauty and the truth of Christ which lives in you by the power of the Holy Spirit, let that flow forward. Um, There's enough condemnation in the world and not enough Christ. And so let's be conduits today of his grace and his goodness, the, the beauty and the truth and the goodness of God. May it flow through you today into the life of someone else, whether or not that's on your on your calendar right now. Let's let it be the way that we walk in the world that God so loves. We've got another hour together up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.